From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So if you're really into cryptocurrencies, it's likely that you're also really not into government regulation. One of the central aspects of Bitcoin and the like is that it's not controlled by any central bank or, God forbid, any politicians. So then the recent news out of the OECD probably struck fear into a whole lot of crypto enthusiasts around the world. Last week, the international economic body released a set of model rules for crypto that its 38 member countries can adopt. These rules would govern how tax authorities in different countries share data on crypto with each other, and perhaps most chillingly for those crypto fans, would require businesses to set up mechanisms for verifying the identities of crypto asset holders. If the OECD countries adopt these rules, or even something approaching these rules, it would of course be a huge shift. But that's not necessarily a bad thing for crypto owners, according to Sahel Ahai Asar. She's a tax counsel at the firm Buchanan, Ingersoll & Rooney, and she's our guest on today's Talking Tax. Sahel spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Sean Courtney about what's in these new OECD model rules and why she expects, for crypto, there's going to be a tsunami of regulation coming soon. At first, a lot of there were a lot of naysayers that these virtual types of currencies or crypto assets that it, it was just going to somehow die away. And we're seeing over the years um, that not only it hasn't uh, kind of gone away as many naysayers were um, anticipating, rather it has really taken off and is developed into a full-fledged thing that governments around the world are trying to figure out what um, what these types of um, uh, financial assets are and where taxation applies. And so the OECD has always been uh, the first place, if you will, where European uh, countries look to for, from a, for a reference point of view, particularly in the realm of transparency. And this is no different. So the uh, crypto asset reporting framework is really the beginning. And it really behaves as a, or or, or wishes to be a standalone international tax instrument uh, to enforce transparency, engaging with the community as a start. And they want to make sure that because there are no third party supervision, that, you know, there, there isn't this um, advantage for illicit activity. When you're saying a third party, you mean like a bank, essentially? Yes, yes. Right. And that's the whole point of, of crypto is that it cuts out those middlemen, right? Um, but then that, that becomes problematic for governments because as you were, you're just starting to talk about, there's the, the erosion um, that's, that's happening. And they need to find a way to police it, right, to enforce it. Because at the end of the day, they're looking at, you know, the overall global crypto asset market. And today, you know, you look at a crypto asset like Bitcoin, it's trading at $43,000 per Bitcoin or Ethereum, is, you know, is close to a little over $3,000. And then that's just with respect to the exchange. But you can also barter using, you know, these types of crypto assets. And there's a lot of fiat money that's being used for the for the purchase and sale of these crypto assets. Um, and yet governments and, and tax authorities are not seeing any revenue associated with that. And part of that is because it's new, it's disruptive, it's a new form of technology. And sooner or later, they're going to have to get their heads around, you know, how do you, how do you enforce that? How do you find a way to make sure that if I buy one Bitcoin and I peg it to my account at X, let's say, I don't know, Credit Suisse or UBS, um, and there's fiat money that's being exchanged, 
and then I sell it for say $65,000. I've made money on it. I'm a resident of X country. So how is that different from say owning a stock of Nestle? You know, or how is that different from any other sale or good where ta- taxation would apply? Mm, the OECD is sort of doing them a favor in some ways because it is so technically challenging um, by putting this together. They're sort of saving each individual tax authority from reinventing the wheel, essentially. Well, yes. And I think the common reporting standard is a, is a good place for them to sort of um, piggyback off of that uh, because there already is a mechanism in place where there are signatories to it because they're all dealing with it. You know, I mean, you, you see, for example, in India, you know, they've, they've recently assessed that under their domestic rules, they're going to tax 30% on crypto um, assets, uh, profits, or, you know, countries like Malaysia is trying to figure out how to um, handle their crypto assets. It's, it's, it's across the board. It's, it's a global financial pandemic of a form for to la- to use a, a, a borrow a familiar term and each country is sort of you know grappling with the same issue and each tax authority each tax jurisdiction is dealing with the same issue because the technology isn't going to change jurisdiction to jurisdiction right right well and some of the work that the OECD did around this framework was creating clear definitions of what is a crypto asset, who is a broker, and then what are the um, requirements and reporting requirements for those um, within those definitions. You know, and it sounds like some of what you're saying is it, it is important to have these things defined. Um, but I'm wondering if any of the way that the OECD def- decided to define a broker or um, uh, some of the people within this sphere was controversial, or if you were surprised by the way, the broad way they might have um, defined things that might capture more of the industry than perhaps others, other people were expecting. So it's important to keep in mind that this is, so, you know, the OECD has been thinking about this for quite some time. I mean, they had, you know, they've, they've provided a survey to um, stakeholders and, and they've, 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 they put some thought into trying to really understand um, the application and the use of these types of crypto assets and the nuances and the variations. Um, because it's not just about, you know, selling and buying a Bitcoin. There's so many other things that can be done. And I think you allude to some of them. I mean, you know, they're stable coins, they're, they're staking, they're miners, they're broker dealers, they're um, folks who are involved, particularly in the art scene, with non-fungible tokens. You know, you have to start somewhere. Hmm. It's a challenge. If you are the head of a tax um, authority in a, in a foreign jurisdiction or in any, any country, and you're trying to track these things because you want to attach um, taxation, but you have no way of controlling that other than the taxpayer sort of comes forth with self-certification, it creates a challenge. So right. I think for 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 the first crack, I think it's it's actually they've gone about it in a very methodical way. But they've also there's a lot of room to grow, and it starts with understanding the technology. It also is with respect to you know they're doing they're 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 trying to apply what they know um, in the context of transparency within the financial assets in the context of crypto assets. I mean when you look at the draft of the uh, the public consultation document and you look at you know you you read the the content it's all you know deja vu again it, you know they're using the same terminology based on the 2019 fat this is a financial action task force which is this global 
uh, platform as a form of guidance, but it has the same terminology. You know, they they want to they want to monitor. You know, let's say uh, a taxpayer's name, address, residence. It's taking all of that body of law that applies to financial assets and just trying to fit it to cryptocurrencies. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, why are you not sure that that will work? Because I guess I should take a step back. There are those who are involved in crypto assets because they want to make a quick buck. And some of those, I think, are, you know, they've whatever wealth they were able to create, they've already done that. Right. They bought bitcoins at like, I don't know, 10 bucks and they sold it at 50, I don't know, $10,000 and they became overnight millionaires. And then there's the the group that, you know, is sort of like the second or third wave that's now kind of dabbling. And then there are those who are actually using the functionality of, you know, the underlying technology. So we're not just talking bitcoins. We're also talking Ethereum and which has a smart contract feature and so there's a utility to those that over time will become more mature and useful. But in the short term, in the you know, in saying in between now and the next five years, while it's uh, it's becoming more mature, most people who are sophisticated in the use of crypto assets are not parking their crypto assets on an exchange, right? They have already done all that, and they have their cold assets. Uh, somewhere in a cold wallet, or in the future, they may want to, you know, use the utility of of some of these smart contract features and apply it to a form of business. And so much of what the public consultation document or paper is around monitoring, pulling, tracking um, exchanges. It, it's a it's a very very good start. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of getting our heads around how to manage this. But I think the underlying technology, there's still, there will be some black holes. Mm. Well, so that's interesting. It sounds like it's somewhat chipping around the edges and you're saying that so much of the the wealth is already out there and untraceable. Um, And so until that wealth is used in some way in a transaction, it's going to be very difficult for countries to know who has what and 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 capture anything from from it. Yes, and uh, and but that's but to your point, um, it's actually very ingenious because what am I going to do with five kilos of gold? Nothing, right? So a lot of people have been making the comparison of crypto assets or Bitcoin to digital gold. Um, Okay, well, if I have five or six bars of gold, it's only useful to me if I can liquefy it, if I can somehow turn that gold into fiat money that I can use, or if I can trade the gold for different types of gold or silver or what have you, barter with it, um, buy something with it pay my taxes with it, what have you. At that point, there can be some form of tracing. But until that happens, it's actually, with respect to what's already happened, it, there are challenges. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. 
So when when the draft first came out, you said that you expected proponents of crypto assets to push back on the OECD as a form of government intrusion. And I was wondering why you expect that and and whether you've started to hear these sort of complaints coming uh, yet from whether it's broker dealers or exchanges or, or elsewhere. So I can I can comment um, by by comparison, if you will. You know, in the United States, in the last uh, six months or so, we've had some movements with uh, broker dealers. You know, additional scrutiny to broker dealers who are involved with virtual currencies, and there was a lot of pushback here in the United States about that, and and there have been some revisions to that. Um, my concern is that. This idea of carving out basically banks so that you can barter or exchange um, was, you know, was a form of libertarianism in, a, in an economic context. The idea that governments are now going to take this technology and say, no, 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 no. And so I think, you know, folks who have been quietly supporting, developing, fostering the advent of crypto assets are going to be disappointed that yet again, government is going to intrude and they're going to find ways to tax Mm -hmm. on some of that profit. But the flip side, in my view, is that, you know, those who truly believe in the underlying um, merit of crypto assets using the blockchain technology will probably think of the tax as a cost for overall consensus that this is a real, useful, helpful um, new form of money, digital money. And I think over time, it's probably going to be a good thing for the crypto community, particularly those who are not looking for making a quick buck Um, And also those, you know, with respect to illicit forms of behavior, you know, I mean, if you there are certain countries that, you know, may may use it as to their advantage and there are those that may use it to their disadvantage. And so, you know, um, weeding out dark actors is not a bad thing. Um, So I think there's going to be a bit of push and pull. But it's all part of maturing the platform and giving it credence in the long in the long run. That was Sahel Ahai Asar with Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Sean Courtney. And that's it for today's episode of Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments on our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Meg Shreve. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.